All right, we'll go ahead and pray. I know more people are coming to join us, but we'll, uh, we'll get started this morning. Let us pray. Our God and our Father, we give you praise. Lord, we ask humbly um, that you would open up our eyes and ears to see and hear and understand your word. We give you praise today in Jesus' name. Amen. So the Christian life is, uh, and if you will, turn to Psalm 101. The, the Christian life is a responsive life. And yes, we all know and believe in the providences of God, that he um, calls us, and unless he calls us, we cannot come. But when he does call us, he doesn't call us without a will. He calls us and gives us the ability to come and obey him. And so um, we're, we're, we've been studying Advent Psalms, and I think at first blush you might look at this one and say, I'm not sure how this is an Advent Psalm, um, but, there, but there is a phrase that... Um, where, where David, the psalmist here, is going to ask um, the Lord in verse 2, Oh, when will you come to me? Uh, but I think it's really important that as we consider this, that we recognize um, the fact that um, we ask God to come and we have responses to that. We're not merely passive. There are some in the Christian church that think the Christian life is passive, that we don't actually have an obligation to respond. Now, if, if you've been paying attention at all to our liturgy, you know that that's not, that's not how we do our service, right? We have a call to worship, and the people respond, right? When, when your pastor, when the elder is standing up here, and they're doing the service, they are representing the Lord Jesus Christ to you, the people, to the body of Christ, right? And it's not because myself or any other elder or pastor can come up here and do that because we're special, right? We are merely um, humble servants um, acting in a very scary place of representing Christ to you, right? And, and so, again, I'm just emphasizing mere men standing in um, for Christ to the people. And it's we speak, we do things, you respond, right? And I think that makes a lot more sense when I come over here to the table, right? And, and then I talk about coming to the Lord's table, and I invite you all to come to the table. I'm definitely standing there as his messenger calling you, and then you respond accordingly. And I say all this just as, as, as preparation for Psalm 101, and you can really see commentators um, think that Psalm 103, or excuse me, 101, 102, 103 are linked, and um, we could study that later. But I wanted us to, uh, to talk about this uh, psalm here this morning and think about what our response is during a time of asking God to come, right? We want God to come, 
So would someone, it's, it's just eight verses, would someone read, um, let's say, the first, just all eight verses, because it's not very long. Somebody? Anyone? Jonathan? This is from the ESV. I will say about steadfast love and justice. To you, O Lord, I will make waver. I will ponder the way that is blameless. O when will you come to me? I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. They shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. Whoever slanders his neighbor secretly, I will destroy. Whoever has a haughty look and an arrogant heart, I will not endure. I will look with favor on the faithful in the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in the way that is blameless shall live through me. No one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. No one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. Morning by morning, I will destroy all the wicked in the land, cutting off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. So as we look at this passage and we, we consider it, um, let's start with verse 1, the Psalm of David. And I think if you, if you consider, again, 101, 2, 3, thinking about this is probably towards the end of, of David's reign, and he is thinking in generational terms. Um, you know, James White, anybody ever heard of James White? Okay. Um, he uh, recently um, confirmed a changing of his position to a post-mill position. And he said, that the reason for that, what, what drew him to it, what might be a better way to consider these things, is that as he has grown older, right, and when you have your first set of kids, you know, you're kind of busy in the weeds, right? You're trying to teach them and train them and do all these things. And then as they grow up and start their families, right, and you're not taking care of the day-to-day -day things with your grandchildren, you actually begin to think a little more concerning gener the generations that are that are coming behind you, right? And so, or, or come, you know, you understand what I'm saying? That are coming from you, that are going to be here when you're gone. You start thinking more generationally, and it was that that caused him to pause and look and re-examine his eschatology or his studying of of end things. And, and that appears to be what we have here with David. David has come towards the end of his, his life, and he's considering these things when he pens this. And as he's communicating it, and as we talk about this uh, psalm, I think that's the frame we want to take. I think it gives us a, a good understanding of it. First of all, he starts out right at the very beginning, I will sing of mercy and justice. Now, this is a very important starting line. Um, can we be honest for a second? How well do we do as persons all by ourselves with mercy and justice? Right? O oftentimes we say, oh, right, I'm, I've got plenty of mercy. <laughs> right? Usually for ourselves, not so much for others. But, 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 I, but I think here we have to understand that mercy and justice because of our sinful natures, that's not what we are ordinarily given to. And a lot of times we think we're applying mercy maybe to our children perhaps when we're, it, it has made us out of balance. We don't do that well 
So we say, oh, I'm going to overlook that. And what they really need is a little justice and mercy together, right? Instead of uh, simply responding um, as, as uh, we think, we need to think, what does God's word teach us in these circumstances, but administrate it in such a way that, that mercy and restoration is central. And again, it goes on, to you, O Yahweh, I will sing praises. Now, as we think about, about this here and thinking about singing, because God is full of mercy and justice and because I need these things, um, you know, I need to sing. I need to praise. Remember, I've said it before. I'm going to keep saying it till it's just in your heart and mind. What is singing? Glorified speech. Right, so I'm going to take the highest level of communication I have, which is to sing, right? And I'm going, and that's how I'm going to respond to the fact that God is full of mercy and justice. Would someone look up and and don't read it till after I call you because I'm going to hand up Psalm nine verse eleven. Don't want to grab that one. Just stick your hand up if you're going to get that one. No one, no one. Okay, Mike in the back. Okay, I also need. Psalm 13:5 Courtney Psalm 30 verse 4 Okay right over here the Zellers I don't know which one's getting it And then the last one 71 Psalm 71 22 through 23 um, right up front here Okay Psalm 9:11 Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion Okay I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Keep going. I mean, re read it again, please. Sing, uh, sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell the people of his, tell among the people of his deeds. So part of singing is to tell ourselves. Some of singing is to be in worship of God, and certainly singing is to tell of his deeds, right? Singing um, expresses to others. Psalm 13, 5, who has that? Courtney? Um, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. So be, because of God's steadfast love, his mercy and justice, um, we, we, can, we can be filled, of, filled with praise, filled with joy, filled with reasons to sing. Psalm 30, verse 4. If we keep this up, this is going to be just getting us all primed up for the worship service today, huh? <laughs> all right, Psalm 71, 22 through 23. I mean, uh, yeah. Also with the lute, I will praise you and your faithfulness, O my God. To you I will sing with the harp, O Holy One of Israel. My lips shall greatly rejoice when I sing to you and my soul which you have redeemed. People of God, you'll hear me say this a lot. Sing with vigor here. Sing the psalms, go home, sing the psalms, sing the hymns, sing, 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 to glorify and honor God. Uh, so if we look at Psalm 101, verse 2, it says, I will behave wisely in a perfect way. Oh, will, when will you come to me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. Now, it's, it's interesting. I was talking to somebody. It might have been you. I can't remember about seeing this word perfection, um, perfect, you know, we, we see in the New Testament there's several 
there's several verses that share to us this idea of um, trying to achieve some, some type of perfection like Christ, right? Have you ever read that passage and say, um, I don't even know, what, you know, is this an unobtainable goal in, in my human life? Ever thought that? And in part, that's because we have a translation problem, okay? And perhaps um, in, in days gone by, this word perfect had a, had a better meaning towards the text than it does to us today. We think perfect is without any, um, without anything not being right. But that word actually translates much better as maturity or completeness. Okay? And, and so when you put it in those terms, you know, we are to be uh, mature, to grow towards completeness as Christ is complete already. Right? In other words, maturity isn't um, simply to say that person has arrived to maturity. I, I'm going to throw myself under the bus here. I thought about calling out our, our older folks, but I'll throw myself in first and say this. So <clears throat> someone can look at me and say, okay, here's a 50-something-year-old guy. He's a pretty mature and responsible guy. Okay? Um, but the reality is, as mature as you might think I am, I think you could probably ask my wife and children, and if you interact with me over any period of time, you may find places where I'm not mature all the way all the time, right? So I still need to grow. Maturity is really never about quite arriving. By the way, if, if you think you've arrived, that's the first sign you're not mature, <laughs> right? Because a mature person, a wise person, knows that it's an ongoing process, right? Because have you ever, if you've ever run a big business or perhaps um, you're in the military and you've been responsible for a bunch of people, um, and, and, and certainly I'm not discounting, you know, managing your children, but I'm talking about in, in, the, in the scheme of you think that there's nothing else for you to see. No one can come up with any other idea that, that you haven't come across already, okay? Um, when when uh, I was running a bunch of McDonald's restaurants, between the owner-operator and myself, we had 80 years at dozens and dozens of locations of experience in running McDonald's restaurants. He had more than I. And we were constantly amazed that even with the adaption, this is good for you guys in the security business, even with the adaption of all the technology we have to help prevent theft, how people can come up with new concepts with which to steal with. Okay, and I, I one time I commented, like he was sitting there, we were talking, and we were just astounded that someone had come up with this. How, if they just spent half the effort in, in actual positive ways that they did to coming up with schemes to steal, they'd, they, they'd be so productive and so rich they wouldn't know what to do with themselves. But they're, they're on the wrong track. Anyway, maturity is a growing thing. You, you can never say, well, I've got it all figured out. In part because our God is infinite. There, he's he's uh, measureless. You, you can't come to the end of him. You can't. He is so deep, so so broad. 
Um, Doug Wilson frequently quotes um, C.S. Lewis's concept from the Chronicles of Narnia, further up and farther in, right? Because we're never going to get to all of God. And so um, I want us to think about that as we, as we think about what it means to be perfect. It's to be complete. It's to be continuing to mature and grow. I also want to mention there where it says, I will behave wisely. This is really about having a fixed determination. So I'm going to have a fixed determination to grow, to be mature, to, to um, be striving, to be complete. And it's funny that after he says that, he says, oh, when will you come to me? That almost begs the question about farther up and further in, right? And, and the fact that he needs to continue to do that. And then he circles back around and says, I'll walk within my house with a perfect heart. Again, that is that complete um, you know, you're striving for a complete heart. Um, and, and in this, it's interesting, when he talks about this, when will you come to me? Again, thinking generationally, this is about fulfilling. Somebody turn to Exodus 20, verse 21. Exodus 20, verse 21. As soon as you have it, first one, start reading. So the people stood at a distance while Moses approached the thick cloud where God was. I think I have a... Okay. I must have jotted down the wrong, <laughs> the wrong reference here. The, the reference that I'm going for is where God talks about, you know, bringing both um, curses and blessings. He talks about his mercy continuing on to a thousand generations. Okay? And so... When, he, when, when you're thinking about this being a generational psalm, thinking about God's faithfulness and, and then our response to his faithfulness when he comes, right? We're saying all this, we're doing all this, and the purpose of it is, God, please come and fulfill your promises to the coming generations, right? How about Proverbs 20, verse 7? Proverbs 20, verse 7, who'd like to read that? So again, we, we have this same kind of generational view um, coming in, in here. Um, and, and again, that's really important. And, and uh, granted, if you have children, you think about that. If, if you pay attention here on a Sunday and you don't have children, you see all the children and you think, oh, how wonderful is that? Do you ever pause and think that um, those are the future of the church? Um, when you look at kids 10, 11, 12, up through their teenage years, does that evoke great confidence to the future of the church? Right? Um, so, so the question is, yes, Lord, come for their sake, for the future of your people, right? I, th I think that's really important, and we're asking God to keep his promises in that. Verse 3, I will set nothing wicked before my eyes, I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. So when he says, I'll set nothing wicked before my eyes, that kind of reminds us of Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2. Who can read that or recite that? <clears throat> Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. 
right so so the point is that he's not going to sit down in front of the wicked he's not going to set nothing wicked before his eyes excuse me I, I would say this if you're a Christian and you're, you're striving to be faithful um, there's enough wickedness that comes through your eyesight um, don't go and set yourself down or allow those things to be set down in your life right and, and then he says, he hates the work of those who, who fall away. It shall not cling to me. I, I think this is interesting because we think about apostasy, right? But I think it's, it's more than that, right? We need to understand that, oh, someone has become apostate. Maybe they've been excommunicated from the church, whatever that might look like. But, but we need to say, this is really about departures and deviations from the right things. Departures and deviations, right? Because a lot of times we think, okay, no big deal. This is just a little deviation. It's a little departure, right? You know, it's not as if I'm talking about that guy over there who's absolutely apostate. Yeah, he made huge compromise. I'm just making little ones. Right? So he's, he's, part of what he's trying to tell us here is to, to guard ourselves from these small departures and deviations, and that he's in response to God's mercy and justice. This is his response know God's word and then live it without deviations and departures. Verse 4 A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will not know wickedness right and so it's uh you know we look at this and you know this is tough because again i think a lot of times and it's going to come through in the next verse we're always looking at other people right and we have this comparison but this is about our own hearts right that I'm not going to allow perverse hearts to just hang around. And, you know, we want to make sure that, it, it, that I'm not going to know this wickedness. And that's challenging. So if, if we look at, uh, as a comparative, well, first, somebody turn to Psalm 118, verse 20, or excuse me, Psalm 18, verse 26. My, my handwriting is scratchy. I apologize. <laughs> <coughs> Psalm 18, 26. So that, that's interesting. I mean, isn't that human nature? Don't we tend to adapt to those that we're, we're with? Yes? Yes. Right? And, and so let's not let that, that perverse heart. And, and really part of this is think about this from a kingly perspective. Right? I, I want to be careful here. I'm not talking about circle of the wagons and having no other interaction. Think, think how the king would be thinking. I'm not going to allow someone with a perverse heart 
to become part of the court, my counselors, the ones I deal with every day. Now, every king is going to have interactions with the world. They're even going to invite the world to their table, but they're not going to have a permanent spot at the table, as if to say they're one of their counselors, right? So again, trying to think about this, we're not saying cut ourselves off from people that are unbelievers who are, or who aren't living right. But you don't want them to become part of your court, right? Thinking in that way. Uh, again, because it, it can turn, it can turn us, and or at least put us in a place where we're struggling with these ideas. Let's look at verse five. Um, Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. The one who has a haughty look and a proud heart. Him I will not endure. And, and this is interesting because this word slanders here, this particular Hebrew word, only shows up here and in Proverbs 30, verse 10. So I think it's only two. We've got to look at Proverbs 30, verse 10 to say, okay, what, is this, what does this mean? Proverbs 30, verse 10, anybody? So it, it's interesting because, you know, here it's saying secretly slandering his neighbor. And, and here it's talking about, you know, slandering, creating dissension, and, and basically making it, you know, and, and here's it, you got to ask, what's the motivation? So read that verse again there in Proverbs 30.10. Do not slander a servant to his master, lest he curse you, and you be held guilty. Okay, so... In that scenario, what's the motivation? Why would you be why would you be slandering somebody so that their master is displeased with them? You can get a better promotion. So for your own good, right? Now, slander is about saying things that aren't true. And and so, in and in Psalm one hundred one verse five, you know, it's about secretly slandering. It's about it's about um, being conniving for your own benefit, trying to manipulate the situation. And as a matter of fact, it's recognizing you can't do this on your own merits. Or how about the Christian thought, relying on God to elevate you by what? By being faithful to his word and living according to his word and let God elevate you? Um, and so he says, that kind of person inside your court, around your kids, those that you're training up to be the, uh, the future generations of God, um, yeah, you're going to destroy them right out of the court. You're going to run them out. And, and here's an important thing. If, if you have something like this with your family, I want to be very clear with you. You're dealing with somebody, and you have somebody that's regularly around you, and then you have to make a choice. Now, when your kids are five, you don't really have to deal with that. But if your kids are... 7, 8, 10, 11, where they kind of have an idea. How come so-and-so was with us and they're not with us anymore? Um, be careful what you say, but I think it's appropriate to, to show some, you, you did this for biblical boundary sake, right? Because you're going to teach them, particularly as they get older. The older they are, maybe the little more you go into it, um, if it's appropriate to share. 
Okay, but but I, the second half of this verse, the one who is who has a haughty look and the proud heart, him I will not endure. Now this haughty look is interesting because it, it's funny it, as I as I was going through this psalm, it struck me because um, this haughty look shows up in our in the passage I'm preaching on today, and haughtiness is not a common word that we use today. So. What does it mean? How does it apply? What, what was the intent behind it? And this word that we have translated as haughty basically is to compare ourselves as if we are the standard to others, right? Okay, so I got Cole right here. I always like to pick on him because he's right in the front row when he's here, right? And I can say, I'm the standard. I can look down on you and say, you don't meet up to, to, you know, you're not as good as me, right? So I'm the standard, and I look down on you in judgment. That's haughty eyes. That, that is to be haughty is to say, okay, I'm better than that guy, as if to say that my standard is good enough. And I think we all know what God's word has to say about any human being being the standard, right? Now, it's very interesting in that because there's also the verses that tell us that we should, as Paul says, you know, follow Christ as I follow Christ. Um, I think a lot of us might, it might be hard at times for us to say to someone else, if we're discipling them, hey, follow me like I follow Christ. If, if those words came out of our mouths, we would have to say, I think I might need to step it up. But, but where, where's the first place you would step it up in? Humility by, doing, by humbling yourself and doing what? Starting out with a penitent heart, right? Recognizing that all that you are comes from Christ and that you are completely undone without Christ. And so when you say to someone, follow me as I follow Christ, it should always be starting that um, I'm his humble servant and that I'm undone without him. Look to Christ, look to Christ, look to Christ. And of course, it, yes? What's the difference between having this, like, haughty eyes or, well, I'm going to tell this person that they're not being good enough because I think I'm better than them versus Sure. So part of that would be, I would say, first of all, whose standard, your standard, or God's word, there's that standard. If, and, and the other part of that is to say, um, you can identify the sin, and you can tell your brother and sister, you know, you're not saying do right by me, you're saying do right by God's word, which probably ought to include coming from the humility standpoint, brother, sister, this is going on. I, I, I think this is an issue. I, I really believe that you need to, to be seeking uh, forgiveness from God on this. And then maybe forgiveness towards you or towards someone else that they have sinned against. But, but the, go ahead. What I mean though is maybe it's not necessarily, it's a, a sin of laziness or a sin of not having a high enough standard so there, there's like this average 
standard, and then there's God's standard of being like Christ. So it's not like there is a grievous sin, you know, or an obvious one, but it's a, you need to actually be more mature and take on more responsibility or, you know, grow. So I guess the sin would be like stagnation in their maturity or stagnation. Sure. So, so, but that starts out by saying, um, coming to them with a level of humility and saying, hey, did you know that God's word talks about this? And you, you know, you speak to them about it. But it's always going to be, even if it's a, a sin of what we might call ignorance or sin of omission, like because you don't know, yeah. you're still going to say to them, when they, let, let's say the Lord is gracious and opens up their eyes and they recognize that they're sin, sinning and deficient. It's still sin, so they should still be repenting to God for it, even if they, it wasn't clear to them that it was a sin at that point. Right? Um, if we if we over minimize that and say that's not really a sin, you just needed to learn. Yeah. Now I think where that's different, I think where that's different a little bit is this. Um, you know, when you're teaching your children and they're small, right? There are some things where you're going to teach them the standard, and you're still going to pray with them. They're still going to repent, but you're not going to spank them because they were kind of ignorant, right? That's different. And that's, I, I suppose in one way you could say that that's true for an adult. You're bringing the truth to them. They're still going to pray. You're still going to restore them. Um, but you don't need to come down on them hard in the same way. You're not try, you don't have to break their spirit when you bring the truth. The spirit of God has already broken them. Oh, man, I can't believe that I'm sinning in this way. Right? Does that make sense? Yeah. Any other questions or comments? <clears throat> okay. The, uh, in Psalm, in verse 6, it says, My eye shall be on the faithful, that is, the trusted and the reliable of the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in a perfect way, remember this, complete way, he shall serve me. So again, this is about saying, who's going to be in my court? Who, who am I going to trust? And if you say to yourself, I don't understand how this court language applies to me, here's a, here's a good illustration um, from... Um, you know, being in a, a family. Think about this. This, this first one's kind of easy, and that is to say, your kids. Who are you willing to say, turn your kids over to be watched for three, four hours while you go out on a date? Does it matter if they're just responsible and no CPR? No. You care about if they love Christ, if, if they have biblical standards in terms of the way your children treat each other? Right? So that person, some, some, to a degree, in your court, right? What about this? What about in regards to your spouse? Who do you want, who do you want advising your wives? Are they part of your court when they need something? Or what about vice versa? Ladies, who do you want advising your husband? That's, so, so you still have this, this court. And it has expansion to the other relationships, the eternal relationships that you're responsible for. So it does matter in this way. And of course, I think we can expand that out, right? Friendships, uh, other, other places as well. Anybody want to comment or jump in on that? Um, okay, we've got four minutes. So we're going to hit these last two verses really quick. Okay, 
in uh, verse 7, it says, He who works deceit shall not dwell. And this word dwell here might be better to understand as settled, like to settle in. This person who works deceit shall not be, I'm not going to allow them to come and settle in uh, to my court within my house. He who tells lies shall not continue in my presence. And, and this is really interesting. This goes back to maturity, right? That to be complete in God means you keep doing it all the time, every day. Because verse 8 says, Early I will destroy all the wicked of the land, that I may cut off all the evildoers from the city of Yahweh. And so this word early here, really we could understand it as this, as at the morning, right? But not just at the morning today, it's an ongoing constantly every morning, right? Every morning you're looking at these things, you're considering these things. Why, why would we want to do that? Okay, that's an interesting point. Well, see, now you're getting it because it's easy, I think, sometimes for us to say, well, other people change, right? So I need to be ever vigilant watching other people. What about ever vigilant about yourself, right? Sometimes. It, it, it's a good thing. We've changed because God has illuminated us to a, a particular truth. So how does this apply to me and others each and every day? And, again, um, you know, have you ever uh, got nieces or nephews and so you don't see them for six months or grandkids you don't see for a while and then all of a sudden you see them and all, they've changed. Now, if you're right there with them, you don't always notice that. You're there every single day. Just one day you look up and man, all of a sudden the kid is looking you in the eye. Um, but but the point there is, is everybody's growing, everybody's changing, stuff is happening. We need to be ever vigilant in this. And for all of you that are thinking about uh, theonomy, theocracy, Christian nationalism, every other thing, the end of this verse I think speaks to this a little bit. It says, I'm gonna be ever vigilant constantly every day removing, destroying the wicked from the land, that I may cut off all evildoers from the city. This is really kind of understood um, as, you know, this is the city of Yahweh. This is the theocratic city. Someone turn to Psalm 46, verse 4. 46. Go ahead, Ben. Uh, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. So um, I mentioned this the other night when we had our, our men's get-together and we were looking at the question of uh, Christian nationalism a little bit. Let us, let us consider these things. God calls us to be faithful with little, and then he will grant us much. Be faithful in the course that God has given you. Be care that is to say, your family, your church, your community. Be faithful in the little things. Be diligent every morning. 
And yes, if God is merciful, he will give us a city. He will give us a land, a nation, so to speak. And what, what's the guiding principle? Read that verse one more time. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. That's the river of life proceeding from the throne of God, right? That gives us images uh, from Revelation, right? And, and how what? There are trees planted along that river that have leaves for the healing of the nations. Life, why are we glad? Because of the life that comes from God our Father through the work of Jesus Christ. Um, any comments? So just as the psalmist says, O oh Lord, when will you come to us? Right? Let us look with um, hopeful hearts for the coming of the Lord to bring both mercy and justice. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we give you praise. We thank you, O Lord, for your great mercies. Please be with us. Please prepare our hearts, O Lord, for the renewal of your covenant promises to us. In Jesus' name, amen.